Hello, my name is Ashley Lambert, and this is Very Sleepy, a podcast to help you fall asleep. So, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and settle in, and get ready for tonight's story, The Emperor's New Clothes, by Hans Christian Andersen. The Emperor's New Clothes was first published with The Little Mermaid in Copenhagen by C.A. Rietzel on the 7th of April in 1837 as the third and final installment of Andersen's fairy tales told for children. This story has been adapted to various media, as you'll see, and the story's title, The Emperor Has No Clothes, and variations of those, have become their own idiom. Anderson's manuscript was at the printer's when he was suddenly inspired to change the original ending of the tale from the emperor's subjects admiring his invisible clothes to that of the child's cry. There's a lot of unconfirmed theories about why he made this change, but most of the time scholars agree that from Anderson's earliest years in Copenhagen, he presented himself to the Danish classy society as the naively precocious child not usually admitted to the adult salon. The new ending became his expose of the hypocrisy and downright snobbery. In 1965, Doctor Who, the episode of The Romans, The doctor actually uses this story as an inspiration to avoid his disguise being discovered. And then he later claims to have given Anderson the original idea for the story in the first place. I'm a huge Doctor Who fan. I know you're surprised by that, right? David Tennant, D10 for the win. You know, Elton John also uses this story in the opening track of his 2001 album, Songs from the West Coast. Even Sinead O'Connor included a song called The Emperor's New Clothes on her 1990 album, I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got. 2016, Panic at the Disco, released a song titled Emperor's New Clothes. And even the heavy metal act Megadeth released The Emperor in 2016 on their 15th studio album, which won a Grammy called Dystopia. What exactly is an idiom? It's the use of a story's title to refer to something widely accepted as true or professed as being praiseworthy due to an unwillingness of the general population to criticize it or to be seen as going against the popular opinion. Not so much these days as it has been in the past. In the real world, I teach large corporations project management best practices, and in one session we discuss the Abilene Paradox, which is where a group of people collectively decide on a course of action that's counter to the preferences of many, or if not all, of the individuals in the group. And with that, tonight's story, The Emperor's New Clothes, by Hans Christian Andersen. And I hope it makes you very, very sleepy. Many years ago, 
There lived an emperor who was so fond of new clothes that he spent all his money on them in order to be beautifully dressed. He did not care about his soldiers. He did not care about the theater. He only liked to go out walking to show off his new clothes. He had a coat for every hour of the day. And just as they say of a king, he is in the council chamber. They always said here, the emperor is in the wardrobe. In the great city in which he lived, there was always something going on. Every day, many strangers came there. One day, two imposters arrived who gave themselves out as weavers and said that they knew how to manufacture the most beautiful cloth imaginable. Not only were the texture and pattern uncommonly beautiful, but clothes which were made of the stuff possessed this wonderful property that they were invisible to anyone who was not fit for his office or who was unpardonably stupid. These must indeed be splendid clothes, thought the emperor. If I had them on, I could find out which men in my kingdom are unfit for the offices they hold. I could distinguish the wise from the stupid. Yes, this cloth must be woven for me at once. And he gave both the impostors much money so that they might begin their work. They placed two weaving looms and began to do as if they were working, but they had not the least thing on the looms. They also demanded the finest silk and the best gold, which they put in their pockets and worked at the empty looms till late into the night. I should very much like to know how far they've got on with the cloth, thought the emperor, but he remembered when he thought about it that whoever was stupid or not fit for his office would not be able to see it. Now, he certainly believed that he had nothing to fear for himself, but he wanted first to send somebody else in order to see how he stood with regard to his office. Everybody in the whole town knew what a wonderful power the cloth had, and they were all curious to see how bad or how stupid their neighbor was. I will send my old and honored minister to the weavers, thought the emperor. He can best judge what the cloth is like, for he has intellect, and no one understands his office better than he. Now the good old minister went into the hall where the two impostors sat working at the empty weaving looms. Dear me, thought the old minister, opening his eyes wide. I can see nothing. But he did not say so. Both the impostors begged him 
to be so kind as to step closer and asked him if it were not a beautiful texture and the most lovely colors. They pointed to the empty loom and the poor old minister went forward rubbing his eyes but he could see nothing for there was nothing there. Dear, dear, thought he, can I be stupid? I have never thought that, and nobody must know it. Can I not be fit for my office? No, I must certainly not say that I cannot see the cloth. Have you nothing to say about it? Asked one of the men who was weaving. Oh, it is lovely, most, most lovely answered the old minister, looking through his spectacles. What a texture, what colors. Yes, I will tell the emperor that it pleases me very much. Now we are delighted at that, said both the weavers, and thereupon they named the colors and explained the make of the texture. The old minister paid great attention so that he could tell the same to the emperor when he came back to him, which he did. The impostors now wanted more money, more silk, and more gold to use in their weaving. They put it all in their own pockets, and there came no threads on the loom, but they went on as they had done before, working the empty loom. The emperor soon sent another worthy statesman to see how the weaving was getting on and whether the cloth would soon be finished. It was the same with him as the first one. He looked and looked, but because there was nothing on the empty loom, he could see nothing. Is it not a beautiful piece of cloth? asked the two impostors, and they pointed to and described the splendid material, which was not there. Stupid I am not, thought the man. So it must be my good office, for which I am not fitted. It is strange, certainly, but no one must be allowed to notice it. And so he praised the cloth, which he did not see, and expressed to them his delight at the beautiful colors and the splendid texture. Yes, it's quite beautiful, he said to the emperor. Everybody in the town was talking of the magnificent cloth. Now, the emperor wanted to see it himself while it was still on the loom. With a great crowd of select followers, amongst whom were both the worthy statesmen who had already been there before, he went to the cunning impostors, who were now weaving with all their might, but without fiber or thread. "'Is it not splendid?' said both the old statesmen who had already been there. See, your majesty, what a texture, what colors. And then they pointed to the empty loom, for they believed 
that the others could see the cloth quite well. What? thought the emperor. I can see nothing. This is indeed horrible. Am I stupid? Am I not fit to be emperor? That were the most dreadful thing that could happen to me. Oh, oh, it is very beautiful, he said. It has my gracious approval. And then he nodded pleasantly and examined the empty loom, for he would not say that he could see nothing. His whole court round him looked and looked and saw no more than the others, but they said like the emperor, Oh, it's, it is beautiful. And they advised him to wear these new and magnificent clothes for the first time at the great procession, which was soon to take place. Splendid, lovely, most beautiful, went from mouth to mouth. Everyone seemed delighted over them, and the emperor gave to the impostors the title of court weavers to the emperor. Throughout the whole of the night before the morning on which the procession was to take place, the impostors were up and were working by the light of over sixteen candles. The people could see that they were very busy making the emperor's new clothes ready. They pretended they were taking the cloth from the loom, cut with huge scissors in the air, sewed with needles without thread, and then said at last, Now the clothes are finished. The emperor came himself with his most distinguished knights, and each impostor held up his arm, just as if he were holding something, and said, See, here are the breeches, here is the coat, here the cloak, and so on. Spun clothes are so comfortable that one would imagine one had nothing on at all, but that is the beauty of it. Yes, said all of the knights, but they could see nothing, for there was nothing there. Will it please your majesty graciously to take off your clothes, said the impostors. Then we will put on the new clothes here before the mirror. The emperor took off all his clothes, and the impostors placed themselves before him, as if they were putting on each part of his new clothes, which was ready, and the emperor turned and bent himself in front of the mirror. "'How beautifully they fit! How well they sit!' said everyone. "'What material! What colors! It is a gorgeous suit!' They are waiting outside with a canopy which your majesty is wont to have borne over you in the procession, announced the master of ceremonies. Look, I am ready, said the emperor. Doesn't it sit well? And he turned himself again to the mirror to see if his finery was on all right. The chamberlains who were used to carry the train put their hands near the floor as if they were lifting up the train. Then they did as if they were holding something in the air. They would not have it noticed that they could see nothing. 
So the emperor went along in the procession under the splendid canopy, and all the people in the streets and at the windows said, How matchless are the emperor's new clothes, that train fastened to his dress, how beautifully it hangs. No one wished it to be noticed that they could see nothing, for then they would have been unfit for his office, or else very stupid indeed. None of the emperor's clothes had met with such approval as these had. But he has nothing on, said a little child at last. Just listen to the innocent child, said the father, and each one whispered to his neighbor what the child had said. But he has nothing on, the whole of the people called out at last. This struck the emperor, for it seemed to him as if they were right. But he thought to himself, I must go on with the procession now. And the chamberlains walked along still, more uprightly, holding up the train, which was not there at all. The End I hope you enjoyed this classic story by Hans Christian Andersen that has turned into an idiom that we've all either used or heard before. Out of the mouths of babes, right? Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for all the reviews and the comments. It makes my day. I really appreciate it. If this is your first time, welcome. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you'll join us again. I'm Ashley Lambert, and this is Very Sleepy. Until next time, good night.